unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And we're going to be talking today, and I'm not going to give too much away, but I'm just going to say this is one of my favorite books ever written about marketing and copywriting. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay, good. One of mine, too. And we're back in our old master series. We have someone a little different whose work we're going to look at. His name is Robert Updegraff. And he wasn't really a copywriter, but experienced copywriters and marketers know him and his work. In today's show, we're going to go over a short book he published originally in 1916, like over 100 years ago. It's called Obvious Adams. Obvious Adams. And it's a story about a copywriter that took the business world by storm. I mean, how many books can you say that about? So Jack Trout, the uh, advertising branding guy, author of the modern marketing classic positioning, wrote an article for Forbes Online about Obvious Adams a few years ago. And Jack Trout's a guy who knows a thing or two about marketing. And he called Obvious Adams the best book I have ever read on marketing. So the hero of the story, Obvious Adams, has a knack for finding the simplest, most obvious idea that will sell. And in the book, his ideas led to great increases in sales. It turns out that's exactly what a viral idea is when used for marketing. Today, we'll show you what to look for in an idea to see if it could go viral, whether the idea is a positioning statement, headline, big idea, product idea. So you can see how likely it is to go viral. And we'll talk about the book and we'll also include the five tests for a marketing idea that Robert Updegraff later added to the book years after it was published. But right now, here's one test you definitely want to pass. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Obvious Adams, I first came upon this book in the early 1990s. And as I reviewed it for today's show, 30 years later, I realized what a major impact it had on my thinking. In the book, there's a story about an advertising agency who first hired Obvious Oliver, was his name, Oliver Obvious Adams, but Obvious became his nickname, when he was 18 years old. And the uh, impression, the initial impression of the guy at the advertising agency who hired him said that he was, quote, a very 
ordinary looking boy, it seemed to me, rather stolid and not overly bright in appearance. And stolid is a kind of old fashioned word. It means calm, not particularly emotional. So what set Obvious Adams apart in this story was his uncanny ability to find the obvious selling points in a product that no one else could. And Obvious Adams' work, all the clever copywriters scoffed at it. Um, But over and over, the ads Obvious Adams wrote outperformed everyone else's. And as he rose to the top of the agency, he stayed the same, got a little better at doing the same thing the same way. But and so he never became a snazzy guy with all kinds of clever conceits and and dazzling words. He just kept focusing on the obvious. And large clients, like in the story of the owner and CEO of a Midwestern breakfast cereal company, they seek him out personally for his help. Now, I've heard rumors that the author, Optograph, modeled his fictional character on the great copywriter Claude Hopkins. And who knows? I can see some similarities, but I don't really know for sure myself. Some people do think that, though, and others understood he was a fictional character and they liked what he was doing, but they couldn't replicate his thinking. That is, try as they might, they couldn't find the obvious in what they were selling themselves and they wanted to. So, after the book was published, Uptograph figured people would get the idea and start focusing on their own obvious ideas, and then he started to find out it didn't turn out that way. In a second section of the book, <clears throat> years later, he wrote, Back in 1917, when Obvious Adams was first published, I thought getting businessmen to do the obvious would be simple enough. It would be only necessary to point out the obvious solution or course of action. Course of action but I was quite wrong. The reason he said is that finding the obvious involved logical thinking, which he called the trickiest of mental processes. So to help people along, Uptograph added an appendix to the book, um, which he called the five tests of obviousness. And before he announced them, he provided, of all things, a disclaimer. They are not surefire. Nothing in this complex and changing world is, but they're good rule of thumb checks. Personally, I think these are great tests. And I would just add, if you use them for your ideas, for your headlines, your offers, your big ideas, your positioning statements, your taglines, your branding, whatever, you don't have to pass all of the tests just to have a good promotion. And I will mention this point again at the end. You should consider all of them. Just thinking things through in this way will sharpen up your overall thinking and could easily improve the response to your promotion. Now, as we do this, I'm going to add one 21st century example of an obvious idea as we go through each of the tests and we can measure it against that. And Nathan, if you anything comes to mind, would you also uh, add one or more and, and let's talk about it? But let's go through the test. Test number one is the problem when solved will be simple. So complicated solutions to problems. I find these are usually one or two things. The first thing is 
A complicated solution is somebody trying to show off how smart they are, how many advanced degrees they have, how high their IQ is. Doesn't really help them sell anything, though. Maybe it helps them get a lot of fans who think that they're really smart, but in terms of business, maybe not so good. Uh, The other thing about a complicated solution is a sign of laziness, meaning a person came up with some whiz-bang solution, but they didn't use the carbo-RCA principle, which we talked about a few episodes ago. They didn't do the additional mental work to boil it down to simple. A solution that is simple borders on being invisible, and that's okay, especially with copywriting. Actually, and this may come as a shock to you, nobody cares how clever your whiz-bang solution is. What they care about is their problem and how certain it seems that you can solve it. So the more obvious the answer, if you hit the right notes, the more certain they will feel that you can solve their problem. Einstein said, everything should be made as simple as possible, but not simpler. And in the book, Optograph wrote, and, and this is, I think, in, in the uh, addendum, in the, uh, in the appendix, the second part he added, the history of science, the arts, and great developments in the world of business is a history of people stumbling upon simple solutions to complex problems. I'm going to read that again. It's a big one. The history of science, the arts, and great developments in the world of business is a history of people stumbling upon simple solutions to complex problems. So let me start with one example. The example portion of this, the problem when solved will be simple. Um, Steve Jobs, when he first announced the iPod, he said, 10,000 songs in your pocket. Is that simple? Yeah, it sounds pretty simple to me. Easy to visualize. Desired, desirable. Nathan, what do you think? I think two things. Number one, I think that as copywriters, this is one of the things that we really struggle with. I see it. I have to consciously make an effort to simplify things. I see a lot of copy that is convoluted and goes on. And I'm just, I get more and more confused as I read it. And especially when putting together the offer, a lot of times is where I see people start to go astray when it comes to simplifying things. Um, We really want to just make it as simple as possible because people are looking for simple solutions. They're not looking for complicated solutions. There's enough complicated. I mean, their problem is complicated. They don't want a complicated solution to it as well. We want microwave popcorn. Just throw it in the microwave, push three buttons, and two minutes later, you've got awesome popcorn. Um. You ask me if I would come up with some things that I thought were uh, an equal match to the 1,000 or the 10,000 songs in your pocket. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I am going to, I'm going to put up two, two of them from two different uh, sides of the aisle. I think that Barack Obama with hope and change did an amazing job at this. And I also think the same thing about, President Trump with Make America Great Again did an amazing job with, uh, with having a viral slogan for their campaigns. If you look at Joe Biden right now, 
you can't say he has a slogan that simplifies everything he's down to. Bernie Sanders kind of does. Hillary Clinton absolutely didn't in the last election. Uh, when Obama ran, he was the only one. Hope and change. Those, it was so simple. It was so easy to get. And people were like, yeah, I want that. I want change. I want hope. I want to have hope again. And um, those two presidents, I, I think that a large part of why they ran is because their slogans fit the virality that, uh, that Obvious Adams just really bangs on about. I, I think that's great. And, you know, to this particular point, um, they're simple. And they, whether they actually were, are, or not, they sound like a simple solution to all of the problems that beset us. And, of course, some of the more uh, critical or skeptical opponents to Barack Obama and to Donald Trump, you know, will make fun of this, but uh, guess what? It works. Yeah. And, and we're, we're not looking for the applause of the critics. We're looking for what worked. Okay. Test number two. Does it check with human nature? Now, to pass this test, by human nature, he's not talking about the complicated list of unconscious psychological drivers that we do use sometimes in copywriting. It's much simpler than that. He's saying, can ordinary people understand this because it fits the way they talk and look at the world? And for copywriters and marketers, I want to make an important point. You don't need everybody in the world to understand this if you're writing for a niche, this being your idea. But what does it check with human nature means if you're in a niche is does everyone across your niche get the idea instantly without having to do any mental work or guesswork? Optograph says the public, and now here he's talking about mass market stuff, the public is curiously obvious in its reactions, because the public's mind is simple, direct, and unsophisticated. Doesn't mean they're stupid, just means they're not fancy. Understand the difference. Let's look again at the iPod tagline, 10,000 songs in your pocket, and you hold up a little thing with some earphones. How hard is that to understand? Not very. Any any other thoughts? Uh, again, both change hope and change and make america great again they follow that same rule i also want to say this is this one in particular is why i think a lot of people get the idea that maybe obvious adams was a reference to claude hopkins claude mm -hmm. hopkins uh especially in my life in advertising it was a big point of hey you need to understand the public the public are working class people they're they're not the sophisticated elites that are running these businesses. And this, this idea of the public is curiously obvious in its reactions because the public's mind is simple, direct, and unsophisticated. It's not an insult. It's just this is where their mind is at. And if you want to sell to them, you need to understand that. And that was a big thing that I got from uh, both this book, uh, Obvious Adams, and My Life in Advertising by Claude Hopkins. The theme was very prevalent in both books. Yeah, um, it's funny because uh, to be a copywriter, you even if you're not 
really well educated and clever. You have to become sophisticated in a certain way. You have to pile up all kinds of knowledge and learn all these techniques and so forth. But it's if if I were Marianne Williamson, if I were the Marianne Williamson of copywriting, I'd write a book called The Return to Simple. Because after you do that, boom. Or she didn't she didn't last too long in the presidential campaign. All right, number three. Test number three, put it on paper. This this is more, or put it in an email, or put it in a text, or put it in a Facebook post. You're pretty good at this one, Nathan. <laughs> um, <laughs> write out your idea in words of one or two syllables as though you were explaining it to a child. So in terms of testing, this is a cheap and quick way to troubleshoot an idea, project, plan, offer, if you can't explain it simply yet, that's a sign you still have more work to do. Uh, here's a key point. Most ideas in business ultimately <clears throat> involve more than one person. Ultimately, at the end of the day, even if only one person came up with the idea, even if it's a one-person business and you're handling all the detail. In copywriting and marketing, for example, even if you're a one-person business, for your idea to succeed, it also involves customers who happen to be other people, unless you're selling dog food and then they're dogs, but really it's a person who buys it. Um, okay, other people, they have to understand it in order to take advantage of your offer. And most ideas, especially bigger ideas, involve more than one person, like partners, employees, investors, contractors. Let's not even talk about regulators. And, of course, customers. So, question, here's a troubling, here's a disturbing question I need to ask you. How do you expect to get their buy-in if they can't understand your idea? Because you're going to need it. Okay, 10,000 songs in your pocket works as something you can put on paper in one and two syllable words. In fact, it is, especially if you write out the word 10,000. Um, that's a one and a two syllable word and everything else is a one or two syllable word. So that 10,000 songs in your pocket passes this test. What say you Fraser common Nathan question mark, <laughs> um, open <and> change. <laughs> all, all of those are one syllable words. America is a three syllable word, but it's a very, anybody who's from America is very familiar with the word. So I think it, it gets a, a pass there. But make America great again. Make great and again is two syllables. Um, I think, though, that the important part of this is, and, and I want to get your thoughts on that, is just making it easy to consume. Um, a lot of times, copy or ideas are too hard. It, it's too big of a mouthful or too big of a, we bite off more than we can chew and we can. Um, get in one in one solid thought, and uh, that's where we lose people. Yeah, I agree. So there's an actual word, mentation. I think of it like dentation, like mental chewing of an idea in order to make it digested. If it if it requires mentation, you're screwed. I mean, you'll you'll sell. You might sell some to the people who really admire your cleverness and complexity, but that's not a market. That's, that's a black swan. You know, that's an outlier. 
Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Okay, number four. Does it explode in people's minds? So when you share your idea or you post your copy and you get responses from people like, why didn't I think of that? You know you've passed the explode in the mind test. It it doesn't mean it is more of, of an open palm to the forehead response than, you know, the excitement or fear that would ha- occur if an actual explosion occurred in your head. It it means that people go, oh, oh yeah, uh, of course, but I've never heard that before. That's awesome. Uh, that's that's the kind of response you want. And I can tell you in terms of ingredients, it usually means you've got an idea that's both new and familiar. Um, we've heard of songs, we've heard of pocket, we've heard of the number 10,000, but when they're put together in a new way, um, this rare combination almost always leads to blockbuster success. Um, and, and it's got to be the right combination. Not every single combination new and familiar is going to work. Optograph says, if a proposal or an idea does not explode, if it requires lengthy explanation or involves hours of argument, either it's not obvious or you've not thought it through and reduced it to obvious simplicity. And you know you're creating mental explosions when you see this instant and intense reaction from people to your idea. Now, one other resource I want to suggest besides obvious atoms for, for this test, um, for making ideas explode, is Flip the Script by Orrin Claff. Uh, that will give you somewhat of a process of taking something you're selling and boiling it down to little components in just the right order to get an idea to explode in people's mind. You, you still have to have the simple idea. I'm not sure he tells you how to do that, but once you have one, he, he really tells you how to sell it. Your thoughts, Nathan? Uh, I'm going to ask you a question to get more of your thoughts. All right. Obvious, uh, obvious Adams, a lot of the examples in the book were um, he's selling a, a yellow sponge cake and mm-hmm. they want copy for the cardboard display that's going to be used to sell the cake on the sales floor. Or he's selling peaches and they want. Uh, five lines of copy to put in a magazine that homemakers are going to read about the, uh, about the peaches. He doesn't focus on an hour and a half long video sales letter, or he doesn't focus on 
32 page Magalog mailers. Um, I want to get your thoughts on people that might push back and say, well, you're saying it, they need to get it right away. It needs to go blam and oh, wow, I get it versus maybe like the end of America where it's a slow burn. And by the end, you're like, blam, I get it. I need to be investing differently than the way I've been doing. Um, what are your thoughts on that? The, the, the relevance of this rule to long form copy? Well, I, I quote the great philosopher, Steve Miller, who said, I really like your peaches. I want to shake your tree. And uh, people know what peaches are. People know what cake is. So you might be able to sell them in five lines in a consumer ad, at least in 1916. Um, but you, you bring up a good point. And so let's, let's take one of the examples you gave me, the end of America. That's the obvious idea, the end of America. And you even remembered it, um, I think it was nine years ago. Everyone copywriting knows that I'm, I'm teasing about that. But yeah, um, the thing is, especially when you're selling something new, whether it's a new idea, a new product, and especially when you're selling information, not, not a regular consumer product that people can find in a grocery store, you're going to need to explain it. And my gosh, you know, when you're, you know, what he was really selling was a newsletter. So you're selling a promise that you'll get more information in the future. Um, you, you need a lot of proof and a lot of con- convincing. But the, I think you'll, if, if you look at it again, I mean, look at, I'm thinking right now of Frank Kern's program, Mass Control. Okay. As I recall, he was doing seminars as $10,000 a seat. And that did require some length of copy in, in a sales letter or VSL to get people there. But mass control, and I get it, boom, you know, I walk down the street and point and people go, how high? Or yes, sir. Or, or right. I mean, it's like you control everyone and everything. Whether you could or not is another question. But the idea is, is just that simple. So for this rule, especially, even if it's a long forms piece of sales copy the big idea needs to conform to this rule or or would do better if it if it conforms if i i would go so far as to say it it needs to for for it to be successful yeah okay awesome all right uh next one david yeah the next one this is like uh, you can get everything else pass every other test but if you don't pass this one might not happen um, is the time ripe? Timing is everything. So make sure here are two questions you don't want to get, you want to get a no to. Um, question number one, is your idea too late? Has its moment passed? Question number two, is it too far ahead of its time? And I think this is a bigger problem for a lot of entrepreneurs. They're visionaries, they're creative, uh, they can see the future where everyone else is busy looking at the past to figure out how they've been offended or looking at the present. Um, so um, an idea that passes all the other tests of obviousness will still not work if it's not timely. So pay careful attention to this one. Optograph said, 
you don't need to pass all five tests to have a successful idea or hook or offer. But it's a good idea to consider every one of them and see if it applies. Um, for example, test number four, does it explode in people's minds might end up as a no. And that's, that's a you know, real good indicator that you need to put more work into your idea. It might be a good one. It might just not be expressed simply enough. And lucky for him, you know, Steve, I don't know if you knew this. I didn't even remember this myself or ever know this, but Steve Jobs introduced the iPod about two or three months right after 9-11. And that was a hard time to sell anything. The country was in great fear. And yet, you know, I don't know, 10, 15 years later, the company he founded with Steve Wozniak was the most valuable company in market valuation in the world. So I think his timing was good, even though it might have been counterintuitive. Well, I, wa- I want to add to that. There were other MP3 players on the market that I think hit just a little bit too far before their time. And you said, is it too far ahead or is it too far behind? He hit it right as the way. So he had the, the brilliant um, catch line, 10,000 songs on your po- in your pocket. But he also hit it right at the time where people were ready for it. Uh, other, other people came out. I think Zune came out right around the same time. There was other media players that could fit in people's pockets that came out around the same time, but some of them came out six months too early. And then some of them came out a year later and they're just kind of trying to ride the wave, but he hit the wave right as it was peaking. And that's, I think that's the thing is, is we have to think of it as, um, has the wave already gone down and now you're not going to be able to surf it? Or are you going out 15 minutes before the wave even comes in and you're not going to be able to surf it then either. You need to know, you need to hit right when the wave is ready to surf. Yeah. And you know what Chan and Dean said, right? Mm-mm. Catch a wave and you're sitting on top of the world. There you go. Exactly. I knew as a Southern California boy, you would get that. Okay. So um, let's, um, let's talk about the, the five tests. Let's just summarize them. And then I, I think we're going on a little long in the tooth today. So let's get the hell out of here. But um, number one, the problem when solved will be obvious. Number two, does it check with human nature? Number three, put it on paper. For gosh sakes, put it on paper or on digital document. Number four, does it explode in people's minds? And number five, the biggie is the time right. And we've included. Fortunately, this book's available. Um, even though it's over 100 years old, it's, been, it's on Amazon. We're going to include a link in the show notes. Absolutely. And I'm just going to uh, co-sign on this. I think Obvious Adams, it's a book that I've read at least five times, probably 15, 20 times. I think it's a book that every copywriter should have in their library and go back and read at least once or twice a year. Obviously. Obviously. All right, David, another fantastic episode. Uh, you know what? What do we have coming up for the listeners next week? Well, we've got a solution to the biggest problem most copywriters and a lot of entrepreneurs and marketers have, which is time management. Because the same author, Robert Uptograph, wrote an entire book 
called All the Time You Need. And it's a very different way of looking at time management. And I can personally attest that works. Okay. I can't wait because this is something I struggle with. So until next time, man, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.